0: Well, I don't know how many of y'all are aware of the fact that um, we've been out of town for a little bit. Uh, We were able to spend a week uh, with uh, about a 1,000 teams at Fort Caswell. Um, How many of y'all are familiar with Fort Caswell? Do do y'all know where that is? Uh, How many of you are familiar with Oak Island? Do you know where Oak Island is? Yeah, so over there, there's this fort. Uh, fort Caswell. It's an old fort, old fort that was used in the military and all of that, and, uh, and for whatever reason, they gave it to the Baptists. Um, I don't know if that's meant to communicate anything or not, that, <laughs> that, that they gave the military fort to the Baptists, but um, uh, we know a little bit about fighting, I guess. Uh, but anyways, uh, we were over there for about a thousand, uh, with about a thousand kids, and uh, I got the opportunity to preach through Ephesians uh, for them, which was so much fun. And the Lord was very kind. Uh, it seemed like the like the spirit was working in a lot of, uh, of, of kids' hearts and even some adults that were there as well. And so it was really cool just to see how God was working, to see uh, how he was moving. And I definitely would appreciate y'all's prayers for the teens that were there, different churches that were represented uh, here in the state of North Carolina. And so it was just really fun to see Uh, God move. And just hearing some of the conversations as I was talking to different leaders of what God is doing in churches, uh, various different churches in the state, is really cool too. So be uh, continuing uh, to pray for your uh, sister churches all over the place here in the state, but also even beyond. Uh, I really believe that even in this crazy, chaotic uh, season that we seem to be in as a country, uh, that God is on the move. Uh, God is never not on the move. <laughs> um, uh, God is always moving and always working and always drawing people to, uh, to the Savior. Amen? And so we praise him for what he is uh, for what he's doing there. But uh, it, I, I'm so grateful we've uh, spent all of this summer, just about all this summer, working through uh, uh, some letters that are smaller, uh, and because they're smaller, they tend to be overlooked. Uh, so we've uh, spent just a brief time in First John. Uh, that's not a small letter, uh, but his other letters, Second and Third John, are pretty small. And for us to spend two weeks on both of them, some folks may go, well, "Man, that was overkill." Uh, you know, I mean, the you know, uh, was a Third John that only has thirteen verses? And we spent two weeks on thirteen verses. My goodness, don't we have anything better to do with our lives? No, we don't. Um, <laughs> it's it's summer. Uh, we 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 love being right here, but also because we got the opportunity to to uh, really let the messages of Second and Third John sink in. Right? Uh, we want to hear this. We want our church to be a people of truth and love. Right? We don't just want to uh, to be truthy people. You know, going around and, 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 and bashing people over the heads, bludgeoning them with, with sound doctrine. That's, that's not what God wants us to be. Nor does he want us to be these kind of jellyfishy, you know, kind of walking around, you know, you know whatever you feel like doing, whatever you want to do in this life, that's what you do. Can we cuddle? Uh, that's not what he wants in the church uh, uh, either. He wants us to be a people of truth and love. Fun fact, uh, that seems to be a very big conviction of John's. Uh, When you go into John's uh, gospel, in John 1.14, John said, we beheld his glory. He said the word became flesh. The word that he's talking about here is the the second person of the Trinity, our Lord Jesus himself. He uh, put on flesh and dwelled among us. And it says, we beheld his glory. How could you see his glory? Exodus 33 says, no one can see me and live. It's what the Lord said to Moses. Actually, that's a very interesting uh, story because I believe that John had that in mind when he was writing John 1. No one can see me and live, God told Moses. He said, but I'm going to do something for you. I want you to hide in a cave, cleft of the rock, and I'm going to pass by. And I'm not going to show you the fullness of my glory. He speaks in human terms. I'm not going to show you my face. He says, I'm going to show you my back. So you know, I can't show you the full face. I can't show you the fullness of my glory. You can't see that. You're not capable of seeing that and surviving it. All right. There are no T-shirts that said, "I saw the Lord and survived." Right? It, it doesn't exist. You know, you see him, and you would drop dead in his presence. That's how overwhelming and 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 far beyond our capacity. That God's glory is. He says, but I can show you my back. And when I, sh- when I show you that, uh, just that little glimpse of my glory, I'm going to proclaim my name. And so he passes by and he proclaims his name. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Why is that important? Because in John 14, he says, the word became flesh and dwelled among us and we beheld his glory. The glory is the only one from the Father, full of grace and truth. You say, grace and truth. So help me connect the dots. Well, if you were to read the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible called the Septuagint, in the Septuagint, the words that they translate in Greek, from Hebrew to Greek, for uh, 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 abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, is what we would translate full of grace and truth. Do y'all get that? I need to rewind and and go through it again. So what what he's saying is this. When God uh, God revealed himself to Moses, he said that he is a God gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. The Greek translation looked at that and said, merciful and compassionate, slow to anger, and full of grace and truth. And John says when he saw Jesus, We saw one who was of the same glory as the Father, full of grace and truth. In other words, the glory that Moses saw when God passed by him in Exodus 34, John saw when Jesus lived with him for three years. Do you get what's going on here? Now, what does that mean for the church? And I think that's what John is saying in Second and Third John. He's going and saying that very glory that God possessed, possesses that Jesus possessed as he dwelt among us is the same glory now that we are to walk in as his people. We are to be people of grace and truth. We need to be people of love and truth. We need to be people who are showing off in our congregations, showing off in our relationships with one another, showing off in our homes, showing off on the job, showing off in the community just how glorious Jesus is. And we do so by living out his glory with grace and truth, with love for one another and truth. It seems like that was a big deal for John. Seems like that should be a big deal for us. It seems like that was a big deal for the church as we're kind of having a changing of the guard. By the time we get to this point in uh, the New Testament, Paul has been executed. Paul, kind of the spearhead of the church, at least in terms of the mission of the church beyond the Jewish uh, centers in Jerusalem and, and, uh, and, and in greater Israel, going off into now Europe and, and, and parts of the Middle East, uh, kind of broader expanding into the Middle East and all of that. Paul seems to be the one that's taking the gospel to the Gentiles, Paul's now gone. He's been executed. And several of the apostles are now getting round up and, and, and executed as well. We're, we are seem to be nearing the end of that Gen 1 of Christianity. And as they're getting older, as the apostles are getting older, they're starting to turn to the next generation, and they're pleading to this next generation, don't let go. you get that? Don't let go. Let go. They're trying to pass that baton, and they make sure that the next generation grabs a hold of that baton, because as we've talked about over these last several weeks, it doesn't take much. It doesn't take much. And that seems to be the conviction of another follower of Jesus, another apostle by the name of Jude. We turn our attention now to this letter of Jude. Turn your Bibles to the letter of Jude. When you're there, say I'm there. It's really not hard for those of you who are unfamiliar with the letter of Jude. You just take your Bible like this, flip it upside down, and you'll have the last book of the Bible on top, which is Revelation. And if you you, you got to be really careful because you can pass over it pretty fast. It's only about a page long, but if you go right before Revelation, you get the letter of Jude. And so we're going to read uh, this letter. Here, for the next several weeks, we're going to be studying the letter of Jude. I'll read the first four verses of this letter, um, and then we will uh, dive right in. Jude, verses 1 through 4. Hear the word of the Lord. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept... who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now let's pray and ask that the Lord would indeed give us wisdom and instruction that we may hear and heed this message. Let's pray. Father, we need your help. These are indeed strange times. If we're not careful, we could get swept into the tidal wave. So, Father, I pray that we would be on guard. That we would have each other's backs. I pray, Lord, that we would indeed fight, fight well for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. We need your help, Lord, to understand just how serious the situation is. We need your grace that we may stand firm. So, Father, I pray that your spirit would attend to those very needs. Lord, there may be some who are here who are already feeling the, 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 the undertow pulling at their legs and threatening to sweep them off. And I pray, Lord, that, that they would hear this, that they would heed this warning, and that they would turn away from error and cling to the truth. That they would turn away from ungodliness and they would cling to godliness. That they would not look anywhere else but to Christ, and to Christ alone. Thank you, Lord, for all these things. Do great things. Oh, great God, magnify your name among us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We live in a weird, weird season. Uh, What's encouraging to me is that what seems to be going on in the first century is very, uh, or what seems to be going on here in the 21st century, was very common in the first century. At one sense, that's discouraging too, isn't it? Uh, That 2,000 years later, we're still grappling with the same things, and we're still struggling with the same vices, but, but it is encouraging to know that there's a word for this. There's a, a God has a message for this. But we live in a time where, where things that used to be big deals are, aren't really as big deals as they used to be. Uh, people have, have words for it. I, I'm familiar with a word by a guy named Kyle Bashirs who wrote a book with the title of this word that he coined, apatheism. It's an interesting word, apatheism. It, it would be one thing for us to, to be uh, surrounded by atheists, right? By folks who don't believe in any such thing as a God. They don't, they don't believe that there is a God. Uh, now, we, of course, know that they do believe that there is a God. They just don't believe that that God is the transcendent, glorious creator. They don't believe in him. They believe that God is on the ground level, that God is right here. Right? Uh, most atheists are in some way, shape, or form humanists in that they understand that they are the ones in control of their lives and they are the center of their own reality and all of these different things. But Bashir talks about, he uses a term, and talks about apotheism. Apathyism, in my opinion, is worse than atheism because at least in atheism you care. Right, You at least care about the ideas of God enough to say, I don't believe in these things. In apathyism, you don't even care to think about what you think about these things. And uh, Bashir uh, gave a little, a little bit of, a, of, a, of a, um, a, a diagnosis to help us understand what apathyism is all about. He kind of had two categories. He talked about our belief in God uh, and how that affects our apathyism. And our status of life. In terms of our belief in God, he said our beliefs in this present age, in this world, our beliefs about God are contestable. You all see that, right? There used to be a time where you could uh, say in the public realm, God. And, uh, and, and you would know that the God that they're probably talking about is the one who sent his son into the world to die on the cross and be our savior. We, we have this kind of common understanding. I was thinking about that just a couple days ago. Uh, some of you all know that I'm from the Maryland, D.C. area. My folks are here uh, and uh, uh, coming uh, from that, uh, that part of town. And, and uh, we have this football team that, that uh, we typically don't speak of. Um, <laughs> uh, but but we we have had a bit of Christmas in July, uh, because the owner for 24 years has been not good, and and he sold the team, and now we've got this new ownership team uh, that that's there, including Irvin Magic Johnson. Magic Johnson is now a part owner of this team, and so we're all thrilled and everything. We're like, we got Ma- Magic is owning. The commanders, that's so cool. All right, man. You know, and you can see when he got up there, they're taking all these pictures of him because it's Magic Johnson, for crying out loud. Well, he gets up there, and he's giving his introductory remarks, and he says, to God be the glory for all the things that he has done. God is so good. God has been so good to me. And I'm sitting there, and I'm going, 20 years ago, I would go, hey, Amen. man, you better praise him. In 2023, I go, which God? Right? Which God are we talking about? It's not assumed anymore that when people say God, they mean the God of the Scriptures, the God of the Bible. It's contested now. People argue about these things. Not only that, but there's a whole diversity. Bashir talks about this in our belief in God as well. There's this whole diversity out there now. When we say God, there are a bajillion gods we could be talking about. We could be talking about, you know, the 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 sun god. We could be talking about the 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 aura god, right? We we could be talking about Allah. We could be talking about all the gods of Hinduism. We could be talking about me, myself, and I. We, I mean, there are all kinds of different gods that are out now, and 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 so because of that, that's led to this confusion where there are people that are kind of going, we don't really know what to believe anymore. And after years of not knowing what to believe, it makes total sense that people will get to a point where they just don't care to believe anymore. So belief in God has an effect on that. Definitely has in our culture. Well, not only that, but our status of life has an effect on that too. We we are a distracted people, aren't we? We're distracted. I mean, we we get, I, I, maybe you felt this way, where where you're getting ready to pray, and as soon as you get ready to pray, right, and you go five minutes, Lord, five just five minutes, right, and and you go and you grab your phone and and, and now you're looking and everything. Well, the sun has risen, the sun has set, <laughs> and, and and all of that, and you've completely forgotten. About what you were doing. Any of y'all have felt that before? And have y'all been through that? Don't you dare leave me hanging. Anybody? Come on. Um, you've you felt that way before. We're distracted. There are all these other things. And not only that, but we are also in an age of a lot of comfort. Right? We're we're comfortable. I remember hearing, um, you know, uh, or remembering times. we were we're actually watching some old uh, old TV shows from back in the day. Um, and, and, and I'm sitting here watching these shows and, and it's just dawning on me just how much things have changed. There was this one scene where there was this guy who was driving. This was an old like cop show and the guy's driving all through California and he goes through the hills and all the windy roads and everything in the California mountains. And he finally gets to this part where he stops, parks the car, gets out and walks over to a payphone. And he puts up the payphone and dials his friend and everything and says, hey, I just wanted to let you know that I'm coming over to your, to your place and all that. And I'm sitting back and I'm just going, he just drove all those miles to talk onto the phone. <laughs> and he had to pay for it on top of that. Kids these days have no idea the, you know, the trouble that we went through and, and, and all of that. Now, what, you see what, what I mean? We're comfortable now. I can pick up my phone right now. I can be anywhere in the world, and I can just grab my phone and talk to folks. I remember I was out of the country, and I'd call Annie on the phone and everything, and you know we had the time difference and all of that. But I'm talking to her from the other side of the planet. We have all of these creature comforts that we have now. So now we have a people that are going, I have everything that I need. Why would I look to God? Great question. When was the last time you prayed for bread? Think about that. When was the last time you prayed for bread? When was the last time you prayed for water? When was the last time you prayed for clothing? I mean, it seems nonsensical for us to do that, right? Why would I have to pray for bread? i just go over to Food Lion and go grab a loaf of bread. What am I over here praying for? You see, what, you see what happens? We have all of these needs, and now uh, having these needs met, we kind of go, what? do I really need to go to the Lord? Apatheism. See what's happening? All of these things, our belief in God, the fact that they're contested, the fact that, that there's a diversity in our world of beliefs on God, all, all of this in terms of our life status, our quality of life, you know, we're more distracted than ever before. We're more comfortable than ever before. All of those things contribute to what Bashir's calls this apotheism. Please understand that it's not something that's out there, is it? We can get to a point in our lives as a church where we just stop caring about certain things. We just stop caring about God. Stop caring about what people think and what people believe. We say, you know, I mean that's I mean that's important and all of that, but there's some more important things that we've got to do. Don't you have something better to do with your life than argue about theology? You see what we do? Or what about our lifestyles? You know, and we say, well, you don't really have to, you know, be all up in people's lives and all that. We're we're so much more private now than we were before. It's offensive for us to go and tell people how they should live their lives and and all of that. And you find yourself creeping into this apathyism, Where all of a sudden we're not caring about the things that we should be caring for. Jude recognizes that problem right here in this letter. That, there, that, that you could easily slip into a, a way of life as a church where we stop caring about what people believe and we stop caring about how people live. And Jude writes this letter to tell us, don't go there. These things matter. We should care about each other's faith. We should care about each other's walk. These things are not things that should slip to the wayside or slip down the priority list. These are things that ought to matter for us. And if that's the case, then we as Christians must put up a fight. These are things that we as Christians must put up a fight for. We must fight for the faith. That's exactly what he says in verse 3. Look what he says. He says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about your common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. You see, if we're going to be uh, a, a people with a... Uh, uh, with, with with, with a faith that, that is seen and visible and evident, not just to ourselves, but to the, to, to the outside world. And if we're going to have a lifestyle that, that points back to Jesus as the one and only Savior and so on, then these things cannot fall by the wayside. We must fight for these things. Fight to preserve them. Fight to protect these things. Why should we fight for these things? Well, I think that's what the first four verses are meant to establish for us, of why this is such a big deal. First things first, we fight for the faith because it is precious. We fight for the faith because it is precious. Let's start at the beginning. Let's look at verse 1. Jude says, he introduces himself, as, as typical of a New Testament letter, he says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, okay, so we learn some things about him. First off, he's a servant of Jesus Christ. So he's not you know, uh, just some guy that's talking. He's one who has been given uh, orders from the Lord Jesus himself. Uh, now, if you don't know uh, about him, uh, you recognize in the next line that he says he's a brother of James. Now, this isn't James the brother of John. This is another James, the one who wrote the letter of James. That James was the brother of Jesus which means that Jude here is also a brother of Jesus. Now, I I think I've said this before, but I think it bears repeating that if there is anybody on planet Earth that I would listen to about whether Jesus is really who he says he is, I'm going to the siblings. Right? Talk to me. Tell me. What do you think about him? Because I know uh, now, granted, I'm a big brother, so I can I can commiserate a little bit with Jesus, but 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 as a uh, but as for little brothers, little siblings, for them to look to big brother and say, "I'm supposed to bow down and worship you,", <laughs> you know, I'm supposed to trust in you for my salvation. You could imagine, and in fact, the gospels even speak that way that the, that Jesus's siblings initially did not believe. Initially, his siblings were just like, "No." I'm not going to believe, it's it's just Jesus. If anything, I'm a little salty because whenever anything went bad in the house, we would always get the blame for it. He would never be blamed for anything, you know, and all that, you know, if if anything, you know, I'm a little salty about him, you know, uh, and and all that. They didn't believe, but there was something that happened that his brothers, at least James and John, I'm sorry, James and Jude, we know them for a fact that they went from being unbelievers to believers. And it seems that the moment that changed everything for them was the resurrection. I said, it seemed that the moment that changed everything for them was the resurrection. Did that change anything for you? Were you trying to go, I don't know who Jesus is and I don't know what he's about and everything, but there's something about the fact that this man got up from the grave three days later. There's something about the fact that he rose, as we like to say, with all power in his hands. There's something about the fact that he was ascended into heaven where he sits at the right hand of the Father, far above all rule and all authority and all principalities and dominions, not only in this age but in the age to come. There's there's something about that that they realize he's not just big brother. This big brother is the exalted, risen Lord of all. And they turned from their sin, they turned from their unbelief, and they turned to Jesus. Well, with so doing, Jude got some marching orders. And it's interesting because we have that as well. We have these, this, uh, you know, this, this call to serve. We are a part of his family. And that's why he says there, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, kept for Jesus Christ. And it's because of that, that mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to us. Why should we fight for the faith? What's so precious about it? Well, it's this faith, in this faith, that we share a unique connection with the triune God. We share a unique connection with the triune God. We have been called out, commissioned to serve Him. We are a part of His family, He says. We've been called. We are beloved in God the Father. We have been kept for Jesus Christ. This is something that all of us share. We are a part of his family. We've said this over and over the last several weeks and months, and, and, and there's a reason that we say it over and over again, because God says it over and over again. You and I are family. We did not get that from Sister Sledge, okay? We are family, we are brothers and sisters y'all have no idea if sisters like this that's well, come on man like that's that, that's classic. We are family y'all, y'all know this right? Y'all, y'all, oh, well that's your homework. when you leave from here look it up Spotify Apple music and everything and then you'll go oh amen okay yeah praise the Lord. Um, <laughs> so we're, we're family we're brothers and sisters. Do you see each other as brothers and sisters? And he mentioned uh, Natalie uh, having um, her, her dad having some health issues and, and 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 things like that. Did your heart break? Because that's one of our sisters. You see, you see what I mean? When when we've got folks that that went off to Moldova a few weeks ago, did your heart go with them and say, Lord, please? Uh, Would you uh, cause much fruit for the gospel to flourish there? Do you share requests with one another like family? Do you share needs with one another like family? Look at that. We are beloved in God the Father, and we have been kept for Jesus Christ. We're family. That's precious. Is it precious to you? Not only do we have this unique connection with the triune God, but we also share a unique salvation. In fact, that's what Jude was going to write about, as you see in verse 3. He says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, we have a shared experience here of salvation. If you are here and you don't know what I'm talking about, well, the Bible says that there is a God, the one that we've been speaking of all this time here, And he is a great God of of, of power and might and glory, all of which we've, we've talked about. But he's also a God of incredible love. And here we have a little bit of a conundrum, because God in his power and in his might is a God of justice and righteousness, so that anyone that has committed any crime against him must suffer the penalty Before him, we must stand before the judge and we must give an account for how we've lived our lives. And the Bible teaches us, and we of course know from our own experience, that we are guilty. There's no way that we can stand before the judge unless this God who is very loving would pour out his love and his mercy and his grace on us. And so how does that work? How does God, how does his justice and his mercy work together? Well, the Bible says that His justice and His mercy come together in the person of Jesus Christ. God sent His Son, and His Son being full of grace and truth, as we already talked about in John 1 and in His letters, this Jesus laid down His life for sinners like you and like me so that if we would trust in Him and in His perfect sacrifice, we would be saved. We would be saved from God's judgment, from His wrath, and saved to be in his love and his grace and his mercy forever. That's the salvation that we experience. If you are here and you have not trusted in Christ Jesus, that is the salvation that you can experience. Right now, you can experience the very love of our Lord and our Savior by giving your life to Christ and trusting in him for your salvation. It is his, it is in him that we are set free. It is in him that we are delivered. It is in him that the weight is taken off. There was a young lady at the camp that I was talking about. Apparently she had some past of, of pulling her hair and, and, and other types of really extreme behavior. And she heard the gospel uh, uh, at the camp, uh, you know, I was preaching from Ephesians and, and talking about the love of God in Christ Jesus. And she went to her youth group and talked to her youth leaders and so on. And she said, I want this. I want Jesus. I want this salvation. And she surrendered her life to Jesus Christ. And her words, the youth pastor told me, she said, it felt like I have been set free. A teenager said that. A teenager said feel like I've been set free. Isn't that your experience? You know what it's like to have the weight lifted off. You know what it's like to have the burden taken off your shoulders. You know what it's like to be free, free, forever we're free. If you are here and don't trust in Jesus, you can be set free. But that freedom is only found in Christ. You can share it with us. And for those of us who have it, do we celebrate it? Do we relish it? Do we enjoy it? Do we go and say, yes, we're free? I, I like to say in terms of preaching, my philosophy of preaching is very simple. I just kind of get up here and tell people, I know, right? That's what, <laughs> that's what this is. Like we're looking at the Lord together. We're hearing his word together, and we just go, I mean, ain't it great? <laughs> for real. This is, this is for real. This is for you. This is for me. And it is ours." Because our God is good. We have a, common, a unique connection with, the, with this triune God. He's given us a unique salvation. And we also share then this unique confession. That's why we fight. Look at what he says in verse 3. He says, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith. Listen how he describes it. That was once for all delivered to the saints. This faith, I believe, is not talking about uh, uh, the the, the experiencing of faith. Uh, It's not that I, you know, talking about my mental coming to agree with what the scriptures are saying. I think here the faith, the faith, is talking about the content of which we believe or in which we believe. It's, It's not talking about the experiencing of having faith. It's about the content in which we have faith. You get what I'm saying here? It's the ideas, it's the truths that we're talking about here. And notice he says that these truths were once for all delivered to the saints. What does that mean? Well, it means that it has no need for revision. Uh, This is not the first edition, and we have a second edition, and a third edition, and a fourth edition to the faith. No, this is the faith that we have, and it has no need for changing. These truths are true. They don't need amending. They don't need revising or anything like that. It is what it is. And this is what we confess. We don't just profess it. We don't just say it, but we confess it. It's a conviction of ours. These convictions are not to go easily. We're supposed to put up a fight for these things. It matters what you believe about the bible. It matters what you believe about the God of the Bible. You can't say that this god uh is is one who who is one God that exists in one person that's not true okay? uh, we, we we call that uh the idea of, of monism or modalism, the idea that there is one God who's, who's just kind of put on three different costumes. So at one time, he's the Father, and then he takes that costume off, goes backstage, and he puts on this costume. Now he's the Son, and then he goes and he takes that costume off, now puts on the costume of the Spirit. No, that's not what the Bible says. That's not what the Bible says. We believe in the triune God, the Trinity, the God who is Father, Son, and Spirit. That's what we believe. We can't mess with that. Right? We we can't adjust it to make it a little easier. No, he is who he is. Isn't that what he said? I am who I am, period. We, we can't we can't make adjustments to uh, uh to what the Bible says about us as humans, and our world is doing this uh, uh really to the hilt. Right? You know we can't adjust how God created us gender wise. We can't adjust how God created us in terms of our Physicality and all of that. We can't adjust our frailties and so on. There are certain things that we can do to kind of push the boundaries of our possibilities and capacities as humans, but eventually you're gonna hit a brick wall because you're human, right? And, and and there's no there's no changing that. That's who we are, that's how God created us. The Bible is true about our sin. We can't adjust that, right? We can't, we can't erase that out of our Bibles and out of our existence. No, we are sinners. So when you have folks that are coming around saying, you know what, people are basically good, you do realize that that was the main, the predominant understanding of humanity in the 1800s? And, and something happened in the 1900s. Um, I think it was World War I, World War II, uh, Vietnam, Vietnam. The Chinese Revolution, the Russian Revolution, and all of these different things. And, and on and on and on. Libya, and, and all of these uh, uh, massacres upon massacres upon massacres. Uh, Dad and I were talking yesterday about napalm. Yeah, that was an American invention in the 1900s. Uh, Agent Orange, yeah. Um, the atomic bomb, yeah, that was us too. Uh, you know, And all of, that, all of that was in the last century. People are basically good? Really? Slavery, Jim Crow, and all that. Mom and I were talking. We've been having these really heavy conversations since I've been in town. But, but these—you uh, know we were talking about how slavery, there's, there are more people in slavery right now in 2023 than ever before in the history of the world. People are basically good. You can't erase that out of your bodies. We're sinners. We've got a problem. Don't tweak it. Don't try to adjust it. It is what it is. And of course, the gospel is what it is, right? The Savior that we have, he had to put on flesh. He had to die on the cross. He had to be very God of very God. And he also had to be 100% human. He had to be born of a virgin. He had to live a sinless life. He had to die a heinous death on the cross. He had to do all of these things. Everything that is about the experience of Christ had to be that way he himself said so it is necessary that i do these things he said why because that's the only way that we get the salvation that we get don't adjust it don't tweak it he had to rise from the dead i know there are people that are just going what are you talking about that just doesn't make any sense i know but that's what happened mm-hmm. right i mean that that's where you go it's not for us to try to understand We we are children of the Enlightenment, right? And so we believe that, you know, uh, just like Descartes, I think, therefore I am. And so it's got to make sense right here or else it doesn't exist. We're so arrogant, aren't we? You know, I don't know what, you know, uh, uh, Oliver in London had for breakfast today. Does that mean he didn't eat breakfast this morning? Just because I don't know it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. we're, We're so full of ourselves. We and the same thing in terms of the scriptures. The scriptures aren't true because we agree, they're true because they're true. This is the faith that is once for all delivered to the saints. Take it or leave it. The Bible says this is worth putting up a fight for. This faith is worth putting up a fight for. So we fight for this faith because it's precious. We also fight for the faith because there are predators around. Look what he says in verse 4. He says in verse 3 that we're to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Why? Verse 4. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality, and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. He says here that there are some folks uh, here that we've got to be very careful with. Note, it would be nice for us to just have this nice Christian community, right? Where everybody gets along with each other, everybody loves each other, everything is awesome, everything is cool when you're part of a team, you know, and, and, and we're all just, you know, just enjoying life together and, and, and all of that. But the reality is that we live in a fallen world. And in a fallen world, the threat of sin is always there. And threats to derail what God has done among us and what he is doing among us are always there. Note, he's not talking about people from outside seems to be what's going on in, 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 uh, in some of the other letters when they talk about false teachers and so on. You know, Titus, you know when Paul's talking to Titus and he talks about the false teachers that are, that are creeping into women's houses and, and, and things like that, and they're deceiving these folks and, and all of that. That's not what he's talking about here. Here he's talking about folks who are right here under our noses. They're, they're here. And he describes them. Look, he says, first off, they go undetected. He says they creep in unnoticed in verse 4. We, we never saw them. We never saw them coming. We go, oh, that's just Joe. That's just, no, no, no you got it all wrong. That's, that's, that's just Joe. Joe's a good guy and all of that. That's how it happens. We were part of a church where there was a man who um, was working with the youth and, and, and so on. And uh, we didn't know, uh, but I praise God for my bride. She sensed whenever she was there, and I really believe it was the Holy Spirit that was moving in her. Something's up. Can't put my finger on it. I don't know what it is, but something's up. She could never pinpoint what was going on. Uh, the Lord had provided for us to, you know, for me to go on for further schooling, and so we moved down to Texas, and we get the phone call. Uh, about a year or so after, uh, that that person had been arrested. Uh, there was child pornography and all of this there. He worked with the Boy Scouts. He apparently had molested uh, some of the Boy Scouts and all of that, and he is recurrently in prison where he will be for the rest of his life, um, unless God were to have some mercy on him. Um, and it was one of those things where we're looking, and Annie was particularly upset, where she was like, I knew there was something knew there was something. But the whole church, there was this sense of the church at the time. It actually wound up unraveling the church. The church wound up splitting, the pastor wound up retiring, and just all of these different things, because they were sitting here going, how could we have not seen this? How were there no signs? How was there nothing that we could put... Our finger on it and go, no, not on our watch. That's not how we do it. It's exactly what Jude says here. He crept in unnoticed. You can't see what you can't see. You can't identify what you can't identify, which is why we need the Holy Spirit among us. We need the Spirit working and giving us discernment, helping us to see what we can't see, helping us to understand what we can't understand. That's something God has to do among us. That's one of the traits here of these predators that we're talking about. He says they creep in unnoticed. Look at what he also says. He says not only do they creep in unnoticed, they they, they go undetected, they they also stand condemned. Note, he says here, who long ago were designated for this condemnation. In other words, this isn't something that that God just kind of lets slip by. No, God has already condemned them, and as it says, he's condemned them long ago. The Lord cares about His bride. The Lord cares about His sheep. The Lord has already designated that there is judgment for those who would want to break apart and unravel what He is doing in His local church. Don't you ever think that God is on vacation when sin and sinners wreak havoc on His church. Oh, no, 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 no. You're just not looking far enough. There may be trouble right now. But there's coming a day when everyone who has wreaked havoc on the church is going to stand before the very Lord of this church, and he will not let them go unpunished. They stand condemned. Look what else he says about them. He says they're ungodly people. They're not about God. They're not about living for him. They're not about serving him. No. They're ungodly. Look how he describes their ungodliness. He says, They they pervert grace. See that? They pervert the grace of our God into sensuality. When you see that word sensuality, we in our culture tend to think purely sexual. But in biblical terms, it's really dealing with all sense of greed, all sorts of of greedy and selfish desires and and, and so on. So certainly sexuality fits in that category, but it's all kinds of greed. It's like the guy who, you know, the, the folks who are always taking love offerings. Y'all you know, you know them, right? You know, uh, I just, you know, I, I just had, you know, a sinus infection and everything. Let's take up a love offering for that sinus infection, you know. Uh, I, I need to change my oil. Let's take another let's take a love offering for that changing of the oil and, 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 and all of that. Could, could you anoint the changing of the oil with the oil of the Holy Spirit when you do that? Can you do that? You know, I mean, it's just all of this stuff. That, that's what he's talking about, you know. I, my, my Learjet is down. I need a second Learjet to, 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 to do the work of my first Learjet and everything. That, that one doesn't have Wi-Fi. Could, could I get a Learjet with Wi-Fi? Let's pray and lay hands over this. What are you doing? What are you doing? Here's a cloth that I have specifically prayed over, and anybody that takes this cloth will be healed of all of their diseases. and, and all. What are you doing? Here's what you're doing. You're perverting the grace of God. That's what you're doing. You're taking the grace of God and you're turning it for your own selfish gain. And he says, no. Fight against that. Stay on your game for that. Be on guard against those types of things because that's not what grace is for. And then notice, and probably the worst of them all, is the last line he has there in verse 4. They deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. They live. Maybe they said this out loud. Maybe it was just you know, the vibe of their lifestyles or so on. They don't. They don't follow Jesus. He's not their Lord. He's not their Master. You may find this where you're looking. You're going. The Bible specifically says, "Don't live this way." And you, you, you may come across folks that just simply don't care. Apathyism. So what? That the Bible says, "Don't do that." I'm going to do it anyways because that's what I feel like doing. Jude says, "Be on guard. Keep your guard up because not only." Is that can that be true of anyone among us? That can be true of our own selves. We've got to fight for the faith. I wish that it were as simple as as just saying to a person, stop it. You all seen that Bob Newhart video? It's it's dated now. It was an old mad TV skit. Some of y'all don't know what mad TV was, which is probably good for you. Um, but there was an old sketch comedy show called Mad TV and one time they had the old comedian Bob Newhart on there and he's playing a psychologist and he's sitting there in his office and a lady comes in and she's saying that she's got some type of you know, personal struggles or whatever. And he says, All right, he says, I'm gonna write down two words here. And uh, and he's like, you know what? I'm probably not. I'm not even going to charge you for, for this time here. He's like, but these these words are going to change your life. He says, if you just do this, you know, then 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 your life is going to be so much better. He's like, are you ready for this? She's like, yeah, I'm ready for. it. He's like, oh, you don't even need to write write this down. He's like, here, here it is, right here. Stop it! <laughs> just just stop it. Don't do that. She's like, well, I have my, my parents and my. Pa-. He's like, no, no 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 no. Don't don't no no. We don't do that. Don't go there. Just just stop it. <laughs> you know, it would be nice if that were it, right? If we just just go to people and just say, like, just stop it. Don't do that. That's dumb. Why you do that? You know? But the reality is some things you gotta put up a fight for. Some people you gotta fight for. There's some who are so gripped with the power of sin, so gripped with with with, with uh, uh, the, the, the lies of the enemies and so on that, that you've gotta fight for them. This faith is worth fighting for. Their faith is worth fighting for. The question is, are you ready to fight? Are you ready to put up a fight for each other? Are we ready to put up a fight for for our own hearts and our own minds? Are Are we ready to put up a fight for this church? and For all that we believe, all that we have inherited from our saints of old from the from our forefathers in the faith are we willing to put up a fight god help us that we would reach a point of apotheism we just simply don't care anymore may God in his grace give us all that we need that we may put up a fight that's exactly what this letter is for that's exactly why i'm excited that we get to study this next few Let's pray. Father, I ask that you and your mercy would give us the grace that we need to fight well. May we not lose sight of what we believe, this gospel that we profess. May we not be so caught up in this world that we would lose sight of the things that matter more than anything. Father, I pray, even as Jude would at the end of this letter, that you, the only one who is able to keep us from falling, would indeed do just that. Keep us from falling. Lord, there are some of us who perhaps are a bit gullible, We say to ourselves, this would never happen to me. Uh, There's no way this could happen to me. Father, I pray that we would heed the words of the Apostle Paul, that he who stands take heed, lest he fall. May we always be aware that it doesn't take much for us to slip into error. It doesn't take much for us to lose sight of the truth. Father i pray that you would protect us protect us from ungodliness by working in us to pursue godliness protect us lord from perverting your grace into sensuality by giving us lord all that we need to treasure your grace as the one as as, as what you have given to free us from such wicked desires. And Lord, please guard us from ever denying our Lord and our Master. God forbid that we would ever turn our face away from the one who has loved us so. Even now, Lord, as we, we observe the Lord's Supper, may we be reminded of the love of our Savior. Why he is the only Lord who is worthy. The only one who is worthy to be called Lord.